homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. A number of questions have been asked around blocks to begin this meditation or blocks to get to the formless attainments. So if you remember when we looked during our session, we start off emptying through looking at the perception of the village, perception of human beings, then we go to the perception of wilderness and eventually to the perception of earth. There's a refinement process in the beginning of this meditation. We're going from very gross to a bit more subtle in terms of the perception of form. Now, the question that is asked is really around can having too much concern for others in our community or in our lives block the formless attainments? And the question comes in the form of that, but also it comes in the form of too much interest in the world, too much concern of the welfare of people that live in our neighborhoods or too much worry about people that live in other places. And very much when you look at this, this is at the beginning of the meditation. When you look at perceptions of village, perceptions of human beings, when we take form at this level and we gather information, when we contemplate, the mind gets very dense and heavy and polluted. And the roots of those things are greed, hate and delusion. So it's heavy with things rather than empty of things. And what happens is the mind gets troubled with those things. So it's difficult for us to empty the mind, let alone go towards the formless attainments. And what you can see when you just simply look at the pathway that the Buddha is giving us, he's refining that pathway. So if you're still stuck with mental objects of the village, so our cities and towns and countries, the people in those cities and towns and countries, whether it's our family, or whether it's other people we know or don't know, then you're very much far away from getting to the formless attainments. So that's why the Buddha says you start at this level, but you remove yourself from the city or the village, away from people to the wilderness, in your mind, in your meditation, and then only then can you start looking at the perception of earth by flattening it, where there's no diversity in, in your perception at all. You're not taking anything as me and mine. So the question is a very valid one. And the answer to it is yes, too much concern, too much interest in our community, in the world, with our family members, with our neighborhoods. They certainly do block the formless attainments. They also block the form attainments as well. So any of the jhanas, you pretty much block them because your mind is filled with ideas and thoughts of people and thoughts of communities and villages and cities, what's happening over there and too much vested interest. So when you look at the topics about our concern for others, it usually arises over politics, the economy, war, welfare, any decisions that come out of government, what's happening within our immediate and extended families, and the process of data gathering, like finding out more, reading up on it, going to talk to people about these things, what does it do to the mind? If your answer is that it clutters the mind, it fuels the mind, then that is true. 
What does that do? It blocks the mind from any of the jhanas, any of the attainments. So it's a very important one for us to look at a little bit further in terms of the sutta that we have been looking at, the Chula Sunyata Sutta, and also to link it up with some of the other suttas that we have studied before in order for us to see why it's an unwholesome thing to do for the purpose of meditation and also for liberation. Let's briefly go back to what the Buddha says about perception of village and perception of human being. So the Buddha says, not attending to the perception of village and not attending to the perception of human being attends to the singleness based on the perception of wilderness. So here the Buddha is replacing the perception of village and the perception of human being with something more subtle, the perception of wilderness. So if you can remember, if you go from living in an urban center or a busy place, and you take a drive to somewhere where it is more natural, a natural setting like the forest, or somewhere near a mountain, or even somewhere near an empty beach, then what you see is that you've emptied physically of many objects, though mentally you may bring them with you. So that's why when we went through our session, we talked about cleansing the mind of various things by using the arising and passing away, by correcting the view about these things. But the next part, the Buddha says, whatever disturbances, dharata is the Pali word, that would exist based on the perception of village are not present. Whatever disturbances that would exist based on the perception of human being are not present. There is only this modicum of disturbance, the singleness based on the perception of wilderness. He discerns that this mode of perception is empty of the perception of village. This mode of perception is empty of the perception of human being. There is only this non-emptiness, the singleness based on the perception of wilderness. So what we can understand here is around the fact that if you're too concerned about the world or your community or your neighborhood or your family members or anything that comprises so-called your world, your work, anything that the mind is clinging onto, then you don't have this emptiness that the Buddha talks about. Instead, you are still disturbed or troubled by the perception of the village and you're still disturbed and troubled by the perception of human beings. That's what's still in your mind and the mind is swirling around and thinking about those things and it is blocking to the formless attainments. The word that the Buddha uses is dharata and if you remember from our session, we were saying that dharata translates as not just disturbance, but weariness, trouble, mental affliction, even fear, sorrow, anxiety, or distress, even pain. So if you truly look into your meditation and you feel the block in your meditation, it means that there are forms in your meditation, that they're still very gross at the level of people, at the level of situations and things that are happening in the world from your community and family all the way towards what's happening in the world. Now, what does this come in the form of? So if you have too much care and concern about the war somewhere in the world, then you can see you're stuck in the village and with human being, that perception. If you're worried about the economy in your own country, let alone what's happening around the globe, again, you're stuck in the perception of village and human being. 
And there are various other ways of looking at it. If you are concerned about certain Supreme Court decisions around the world, if you are concerned about food shortages somewhere in the world, if you are concerned about the corruption somewhere in the world. And then it can also be something closer to home. You're worried about the homeless people down the street, or you're worried about the person that comes to do your gardening and their problems, or you're worried about what's happening in the temple that you go to and the people in your temple, or you're worried about all kinds of different things in your family, whether somebody is going out with the right person or whether somebody got fired from their job. You can see that the mind keeps grasping onto the details, information about people and situations. So if the tendency is to have this care and concern as well as too much interest or to be in the dysfunctional way nosy and that sort of thing, then you know that that's going to become a block to the meditation because your mind is packed in with information and it's constantly going out into the world to seek more information. It calls up people to find out more, to debate. It goes onto the internet to join forums and make comments and to seek out the details, to, to know everything. So there's something very important in this process something very important to look at because when people come and ask about blocks to the meditation, this is a huge one. And I think we mentioned this in our session that people start to realize that they're not getting mental relief in their meditation because the mind is just too heavily imbued with perceptions of the village and perceptions of people. It's a huge block in meditation actually. And so when you start to recognize it, you start to think, well, what can I do about it? And that's the reason why people go on retreats. They have social media timeouts or social media holidays when they turn off their phones, turn off the internet, or they go and stay in the monastery for a little while, or they go and seek solitude somewhere just to take a breather. That's very helpful because you physically restrain yourself and then therefore you can mentally restrain yourself. When you are too open with the world, when you're too eager to know everything, when you don't have any restraint on yourself in the world, and that are boundaries, then it becomes very difficult for meditation. And particularly with our family members, we can be far too interested more than what is needed. So we're not saying don't have care and concern for people, particularly looking after our parents or looking after our families and our friends and our people that we look up to. But it's knowing where to set the boundary, because if you don't set the boundary, then you can't fulfill your spiritual goals. You can't fulfill what is needed to walk this path. When it starts to encroach too much, where you try and even be a good person too much, then it becomes very difficult to walk the path because you prioritize things in an imbalanced way. It's important to know that when we have too much care and concern, particularly with family members and community, we can get it very wrong and it would hinder our path, let alone our, our meditation. So it's something to bear in mind, something to investigate for oneself and to really look at this area. 
In our session on Ethelopoia, we looked at this sutta talking about Venerable Sariputta and it was specifically about Pindapart. But the key thing about Venerable Sariputta is that he would go into the village for Pindapatta, so arms round, but he would come back without having taken any disturbances from the village or disturbances regarding the perception of people. Essentially, what he said is when he returned from arms round, there was no desire, lust, hate, delusion or aversion in the mind. So what happens with us when we think about just simply that statement is when we go and toil in the world for work, for getting things done, for being part of our communities, we end up coming back with this desire, lust, hate, delusion, aversion in the mind. More often than not, when we are dealing with people, we get into conversations about politics and the economy. Immediately, you see aversion coming to the mind and hateful thoughts and things of that nature. Also, when we make contact in the world, when we look into shops, when we look at other people, we take these perceptions of people. Our mind gets very distorted with desire and lust and a huge amount of delusion is driving all of this. And so one needs to be very careful when we deal with people and deal with the world. It's not easy. Buddha's not saying it's easy. We need to understand the importance of sense restraint. Because in that way, if we go out into the world but make less contact with people and things, then it's much easier coming home and to the meditation. We don't need to go to the wilderness so much, literally. But it's that way of having good boundaries and also not asking too many questions of things that we don't need to ask questions about. Usually the information seeking, the data gathering is what really hurts us. The more we know about people and situations, the more cluttered the mind and it fuels more and more interest and more and more difficulty. So this is another good sutta to contemplate, particularly the line about, or the question you can ask yourself when you go out and come back, was there any desire, lust, hate, delusion, or aversion in the mind regarding what you saw, what you heard, the smells, the flavors, the sensations, and also the mind objects? So this is something as a bit of a pointer to oneself, a prompt to oneself. And in that way, you start to notice how it is for oneself and how you can get it massively wrong or to make it more difficult for oneself. So when you hear people guard their minds from reading too much news, when you hear people in their conversations, they start to restrain from asking too many personal questions. When you start to take a step back from instigating talk about politics and the economy and what's happening in other people's lives, not take it too personally, then what happens is you start to see, oh, that, that Kalyanamitta is really training. They're really protecting their minds. They're really onto that. And you can, you can start following that example. It can be very helpful for quickening the process towards attainments and quickening the process to concentration, right concentration. When you try it for yourself, and you see it for yourself, then that's the blessing. It no longer becomes, oh, that, that's something that Buddha talks about, or, or that's something that that teacher talks about, or, or that's something that you wish for. It's something that is true for you. you you've directly experienced that yourself.
Now another sutta to help us is the Vitaka Sutta. This is Itivutika number 80. And this is a way of helping us to understand unwholesome thoughts. So the Buddha says, because there are these three kinds of unwholesome thoughts, what three? The first is a thought concerned with not being despised. So in Pali, this is anavanyali patisangyuto vitako. So patisangyuto is concerned with or connected with. So the Pali word we're interested in is anavanyati. This is around one's reputation, essentially. Not wanting to be despised, not wanting to be looked down upon, not wanting to feel inferior. The second one is a thought concerned with gain, honor, and fame. So labha sakara siloka patisangyuto vitako. So you have lofty thoughts. Thoughts of wanting to gain, thoughts of wanting to be respected, thoughts of wanting to have popularity and those sorts of things. Again, that's almost like linked to the first one, but in a different direction. And then the third one is a thought concerned with involvement in the affairs of others. So the Pali is para anudayata patisangyuto vitako. So the important part is para anudayata. So para means other or others, and anudayata is usually around interest in the affairs of others or too much sympathy, too much pity for others. And so that's where the involvement in the affairs of others comes from. So it's the third one that is really important here because the question that was asked is around too much concern for others. This third one is, is an unwholesome thought. Now, when you hear that from the Buddha, you think, what? The Buddha says that having too much concern for others is unwholesome. And when you realize what we've spoken about in answering this question, you realize too much interest in the affairs of others, too much thoughts around others, too much concern around others. It's akusala. That means it's going beyond what is needed. It becomes dysfunctional. It becomes not understanding things with the right view. One of the ways of understanding is possibly that we don't understand combined rebirth. Sometimes people get caught thinking about homeless people, people who are born into an inferior position in the world, people that have extreme poverty. One of the things that the Buddha always reminds us around Kamba and Rebirth is people are born into those places because of unwholesome actions in the past, whether it's through body, speech and mind. So their Vipaka Kamma, the ripening of their Kamma in this lifetime, is to bear the fruit of that. And so when you overly think about people in that kind of status, that kind of situation, in the perverse way, the corrupt way in the mind, with wrong view, you're not understanding Kamma and Rebirth. So that's one possible way of understanding that. The other way is if we fill our minds with people in this way, then we may get it wrong in terms of not seeing dukkha correctly. We are looking at them through the lens of personal dukkha, not universal dukkha. So the first noble truth is understanding universal dukkha, that if there is birth, there is old age, sickness and death. That is our entire predicament, every single living being. And so when we start to divide in our mind, concern over others because of they're part of the homeless group, they're part of the inferior group, they're part of the afflicted group, they're the suppressed group over all kinds of things, gender, race, age, you name it, any type of way then we're not seeing universal dukkha. We have now slipped into personal dukkha and then it becomes distorted, perverted. 
So this is something that the Buddha would call unwholesome, non-metta. Metta is lost at that point because if you remember, metta is not hankering for families or groups, not having preferences towards families and groups. So at the level of universal dukkha, that there is birth, aging, sickness and death, that is what we are subject to, all living beings, then we have the right view. So that's another way of looking at that. To briefly have a look at Haladakani Sutta, we looked at this when we had our Poya session, our extended session on why it's difficult to renunciate the world. I wanted to bring this in because it's another way of linking up the Dhammas that we are learning and also a way of emphasizing Buddha's point, the point of certain teachings. Now in this particular Haladakani Sutta, it was actually Venerable Mahakachana who was explaining a verse of the Buddha to a layperson. This layperson's name was Haladakani. And essentially, Venerable Mahakachana, the way he explained this verse of the Buddha was to draw out inside pathway. So when you take delight in the world and are therefore bound to future arising, if you look at the top part of this slide, you start with intimacy in the village. That means you don't get rid of sensual pleasures through the world, through the intimacy in the village. Then you entertain expectations of the world and then you end up engaging in dispute. So if you put an example through this, if we are too concerned about food shortages in one part of the world, so let's take Sri Lanka for example, so you could be sitting either in Sri Lanka or somewhere else in the world. If you have family members or friends or people that are sharing Dhamma with you who are living in Sri Lanka, then what happens is you have too much concern for what's happening in Sri Lanka. So you become intimate in the village. If you remember what Venerable Mahakachana was saying, if the people experience good things, you're happy with them. If they go through hardship, such as these food shortages, you suffer with them and on and on it goes. So that's what happens when you get intimate in the village. So here you're grasping already. And so you're not rid of sensual pleasures. You want to seek out what's happening with them, what's going to happen. The mind goes into certain ripples and, and swirls around and gets into a bit of a storm in the mind. And so you start entertaining expectations. Oh, what if they get funding? What if something else happens? Then you start getting interested in the politics of it all. And oh, what's going to happen with the president they elect? Or what if they elect the wrong president? What's going to happen with the protests? And on and on it goes. What will happen in three months time, let alone a year? Will they survive? And then you get to the end of it and you start engaging in dispute with people. You start getting angry on behalf of the people sitting in Sri Lanka. You start talking with people and, and basically end up having very strong views that you never thought you had strong views about, whether it's the president, the prime minister, the protesters, the decisions made by the previous government, the past people that were governing, and on and on, the unions, the people that are running the businesses and whether they're profiting, who's corrupt at all levels. So you can see it's a very stormy kind of example. And there are many examples like this from war in Ukraine to decisions made in America to what's happening because of natural disasters to there's so many topics when we don't renunciate the world. And 
that's at a global level. You can take that to intimacy in your local village or even simply your family. There are examples there. So this is what it means about too much concern in the world, too much concern for others. So our communities, our circles, they're very huge now with the internet. They're very huge because information gathering is so easy. Data collection is so easy, even at our level. So if you look at the bottom half of the slide, the Buddha is encouraging us. And in this case, Venerable Mahakachana, through his words, an explanation to Haladakani, the layperson, he's saying, don't take delight in the world, renunciate it. And therefore you'll no longer be bound to future arising. There is a bigger picture to this. So he encourages, don't be intimate in the village. Know less, ask less questions, seek less information and then rid yourself of sensual pleasures. The sensual pleasures is really the people in the world, our village, our people, our countries. That, that's the sensual pleasures, all these forms. And then don't have expectations. So don't have expectations about what's going to happen. Don't make plans around the, these things. Don't have strong views around these things. And then don't get into dispute. It's when we have too much information, develop strong views that we start to debate and have an opinion and have very strong and difficult discussions, debates, fights that lead to even physical fights, that leads to even physical war. There's something very strong in that. Of course, there's a bigger picture, but we won't go into that here. But what you essentially find is if you start to let go of this thing around people, communities, the world, then it becomes easier to meditate. That's another way of looking at it. And also it's very good for the path. So again, we're not saying don't care about what happens in terms of the actual things that we can do to take care of our families, to look after our friends and families. But it's when you step beyond that then of course it becomes a huge block to meditation, huge block to concentration of the mind. The mind is filled with all these things, it can't let go. And that's why the Buddha gives us these other ways of doing that through the perception of wilderness as a stepping stone to then the perception of earth. And the, the major block to the perception of earth is you can't flatten it because there are still people that you take as me and mine. There are still groups that you take as me and mine, that you, you can't flatten the earth as a result, and therefore you can't attain to the formless attainments. This is the slide that we looked at from the Haladikani about intimate in the village. So I've briefly mentioned that just now. Uh, the words are there that uh, someone lives in association with lay people, rejoices with them, sorrows with them, is happy when they are happy, sad when they are sad, involves himself in their affairs and duties. So this is where the interest comes in and the data gathering and the, and the involvement, a lot of contact and then a lot of clinging. So we've gone over that and that's something also, again, you can go back to that Dhamma session, it can be very helpful in seeing the ways that we do it that can be a hindrance in our meditation and also to walk in the Noble Eightfold Path. Another cross-reference would be to the Pamada Vihari Sutta where the Buddha talks about dwelling with negligence versus dwelling with vigilance. This is a very important one to see about mental pollution. Uh, mental pollution is very similar to Dharata 
the, the troubles in the mind, the mental afflictions in the mind, they're all very much linked. Buddha has this way of teaching the same thing, but in different ways to help us to see it. For some people, certain suttas really resonate. For others, other suttas resonate. So if you're familiar with the Pamatha Vihari Sutta, which we've been through before, when we lack sense restraint, we pollute the mind. And therefore, you can see in the Buddha's insight pathway, the mind is polluted. So there is no gladness. There is no rapture. The body does not become tranquil. One does not dwell with happiness. Instead, you dwell in pain or suffering. And therefore, you can't concentrate the mind because the mind won't calm down. And so the truth doesn't become apparent. And so that's what the Buddha considers as dwelling negligently. When you look at this, you can see this is a block to the first four jhanas. This is a block to the formless attainments. Now, the alternative is if you restrain the mind, the way to do that is through restraining the other sense faculties, because it's through the other sense faculties that the mind then gets to latch onto things. So if you restrain through the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, then you have the ability to restrain through the mind. So then the mind does not become polluted. And if that is the case, then there is gladness. Rapture arises. The body becomes tranquil. Then you dwell in happiness and then the mind becomes calm and concentrated. The truth really does become apparent. And then the Buddha says you dwell vigilantly. When you start to see that you don't want to have so much care and concern for what's happening in your community and in your family and in the world, then what happens is you can dwell vigilantly and therefore you're not blocked from these attainments, whether they're the form attainments or the formless attainments. So it's the dysfunctional side that one is trying to overcome. Otherwise, it is a massive block. This is one of the examples that we went through, or the suttas that we went through in the session on why it's difficult to renunciate the world. This is one of the tips that we looked at. And it's in relation to the Buddha's teaching in the Chandupama Sutta. And he was giving reference to Venerable Mahakasapa. So he was advising the monks that when you approach families, you should approach like the moon. The words that he uses are drawing back the body and mind, always acting like newcomers, courteous towards families or groups, just as a man looking down an old well, a precipice or a steep river bank would draw back the body and mind. So too, because should you approach families or groups. So when you look at the Buddha statement here, the immediate thing that we always say is that's not what we do with our families or people that we're intimate with. We don't look at them as if we're standing on the edge of a precipice. So we don't look at our families and groups with apprehension that there's danger there. Instead, we lovingly go towards them feeling safety, feeling we can say anything, do anything, ask anything for the most part. And when that's the case, we don't act like newcomers. We act like overly familiar, very comfortable, at ease to do and say anything. And so that's where we go tremendously wrong. If you, if you read into the Buddha's words, we don't draw back our body and mind from those conversations or our interactions. We're right in there with familiarity and therefore defilements can come in and too much lack of sense restraint. And when that happens, that's where we gather information. 
that's where we feel comfortable to ask questions. That's when we are not detached, have no equanimity. All the things that Venerable Sariputta was saying, is there desire, is there lust, hatred and delusion? Is there aversion? And the answer is yes. If we approach families in the wrong way or groups, when there's this sense of familiarity, when there's this sense of safety, then all these things arise. The easiest way of seeing it is when we develop aversion towards families and groups is because we're too familiar. There's no detachment. And so there's something in this advice that the Buddha is giving us. Buddha says about Venerable Mahakasapa, he draws back the body and the mind. He always acts like a newcomer without impudence towards families or groups. What do you think, bhikkhus? What kind of bhikkhus worthy to approach families or groups? And so the Buddha is using Venerable Mahakasapa as the leading example here. He has politeness and all those things when he approaches families, but he acts like a newcomer, so not too much familiarity. And he senses the danger, so he acts accordingly to be very vigilant, which brings us back to the Pamada Vihari Sutta, acting with vigilance. So through the eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, and of course the mind, you're careful, careful not to pollute any of those sense doors and therefore the mind. So this is another way of looking at it too. And therefore, if you act on this, that you sense the danger when you get onto the internet, when you're looking on your phone at social media, when you are in physical groups, when you see people about to launch into the economy, into politics, into very heavy subjects, when it's about particulars about people in the family or at work or other parts of the neighborhood, you take it very carefully. There's such a distinction when you act like a newcomer than someone who is very familiar. There's a sense of boundary there that can be very useful if you want to make progress on the spiritual path, if you want to protect your spiritual progress. Because if you have managed to get to a certain place in your meditation where it's easeful to get to samasamadhi, right concentration, you want to protect the mind that has those qualities. You don't want to pollute it. So there's something also in that. If we look briefly at this Akasa Nancha Ayatana Panya Sutta, we looked at this in the question on other ways of attaining to the perception of the dimension of infinite space. There were three parts to how Venerable Mahamogalana and many other Arahants attained to infinite space. They looked at the complete transcendence of the perceptions of form, with the passing away of perceptions of sensory impingement, with non-attention to perceptions of diversity, aware that space is infinite. So when you look at the complete transcendence of the perceptions of forms, you're making the village and the people insignificant. This is a bit like not being so interested, not being so concerned. If you're too interested and too concerned, it's very difficult to make the village and the perceptions of people insignificant. And then the second part is passing away of perceptions of sensory impingement. If we keep polluting the mind, dwelling negligently, it's very difficult to see the athangama, the passing away of perceptions of sensory impingement. So most of the time we like to talk, we like to listen and talk and debate. That's sensory impingement and we talk about forms a lot. 
other people's business, other people's activities, our own activities, we're solidifying that and we get a lot of what we think is delight, but a lot of aversion arises to the way that we speak. And so to really look at that, what we speak about is imbued with a lot of aversion, a lot of defilements. And therefore you see literally through speech where the sensory impingement is. And it usually is we keep going back through our sense faculties out into the world, data gathering, data collecting, and then swirling in our minds about it. And so it's very hard to see the passing away of the perceptions of sensory impingement. Our food is other people, other things. It may come in the form of care and concern, but when it becomes dysfunctional, we don't see the danger in it, then it becomes that block. And then the last one is non-attention to the perceptions of diversity. So again, our stream of consciousness is constantly running through the mind. It keeps going back to form, keeps going back to all kinds of objects of form. And so there's never any stillness in our mind. And that's what we're trying to get to. This thing about formless attainments is very important in the sense of it allows us to step out of form. And our problem with meditation is always around form. We find it very difficult to let go of the world, renunciate the world. And so you really see it when you try and do this kind of meditation. We're too caught up in the craving for sensual pleasures, is what the Buddha talks about, karma tanha. But really, we're too caught up with our senses. And therefore, what you see from that is the craving for sensual pleasures through the eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, and of course, then the mind. So you can link also this way through this particular sutta that we spoke about recently as well. What was recommended in terms of removing the blocks to the meditation when it comes to the perception of the village and the perception of human beings or people is form is impermanent. So it comes back to the Samadhi Bhavana Sutta. This is Sangyutta Nikaya chapter 22, discourse number five. We have a whole session on looking at the five aggregates in this way, looking at the arising of each of the five aggregates and the passing away of the five aggregates. In this way, you start to see impermanence. So when it comes to these blocks in terms of too much concern for others, what one needs to do is take the example of what's in the mind. What is the thing that's blocking the mind? Is it a family member? Is it a situation at work? Is it the situation in some country? Is it politicians? Is it someone in your neighborhood? Whatever it is, you look at form and you see how you seek delight. Often we think that seeking delight is about the good things. But seeking delight is also about the perverse things, the corrupt things. When we're unhappy with something, we also seek delight because that is mental fodder for us. So when we keep thinking about politicians and stuff, the mind seeks delight. You can see it when it keeps wanting to ferret out information from the internet, when it wants to talk to people about those same old topics over and over again. That means you're seeking delight, Abhinandati. You're welcoming by expressing it, having those conversations, abhiwadati. You remain holding a josayatitati because you go back to the internet to look for the information or, or turn on the TV to watch the news or whatever it is. And therefore delight arises. Nandi, the mind goes, oh, it's there, great. I'm enjoying this mental proliferation around it. 
And so you follow that arising pathway and you see, you can see the bigger predicament in it when you're too interested in these things. After doing the arising and seeing for yourself that you suffer, then you do the passing away. And so you see, I no longer want to take delight in this. Nabinandati. I no longer want to welcome. Nabiwadati. And then I no longer will remain holding. Nadosayatitati. Therefore, the delight ceases. There's the cessation of clinging and so on. So that's how one meditates. If you do that, then what happens is you start to remove these blocks. And you need to do using this wisdom path because it's only through wisdom is it very authentic and real. If you try and fling it away and you don't follow the inside pathway sequentially, then what happens is the mind still has a tendency to go back. You need to see the error in one's ways, the folly, the danger of grasping to the perception of the village, grasping to the perception of human beings or people, groups. One final thing to say before we end this session is that the proof is really in the pudding. If you follow the Buddha's instructions, the insight pathway, to see the arising and passing away of form, then the proof is in your meditation. The mind is meant to calm down naturally with the truth. The more honesty in the sense of using the example that is troubling you by really investigating it and following the Buddha's instructions of arising and passing away, then you really get to see that drop, see that fall. But if you don't make effort towards following the Buddha's instructions, then you will continue to flounder. And at some point, one has to let go of the theory of the Buddha's instructions and actually do the meditation. Actually encourage yourself to do the meditation. We can talk about these things. The Buddha's words are wonderful. But at the end of the day, the encouragement is to do it in your meditation, to really make that effort, to really have an intention, to see for yourself what form is really about, that it is impermanent, that these things that we are grasping onto, they are really blocks in our meditation. And to understand what is unwholesome, what is wholesome. In that way, you get the blessings of the meditation. So that's the encouragement. So we can end our session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you well. Peruan Saranai.